the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Hope you had a really great holiday yesterday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And we are back live on the Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about anything going on in your life, questions about church, anything and everything. All you have to do is provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen, and everything else is hands-free. You will be connected directly to our studio producer. Well, it was kind of weird, me having a day off, a Monday off yesterday, but but uh, Paul and I got to go out and fool around a little bit, so it was fun. I probably shouldn't have said it like that, but <laughs> My producer just slept. I didn't mean that. I mean, we just we went out and had a good day. It was it was really nice. So I hope you had a good day as well. Um, let me get right to questions. It's Tuesday. I keep thinking it's Monday, so I got announcements, but I don't. So let's go to some questions. The first one comes from our email inbox. It is anonymous. Hi, Pastor Ron. Listening to the rerun program this President's Day. You said Ravi Z went to heaven. I don't understand. How does an unrepentant sinner go to heaven? As you mentioned, there were no apologies or reaching out to his victims. Please help me understand. Anonymous, you've got a real Catholic sort of view of forgiveness. Now, here's the thing to remember. When Jesus died on the cross, when he said it is finished, he died for the sins past, the sins present, And sins future, sins we haven't even committed yet. We were declared justified just as if we'd never sinned. Now, he doesn't take that back. If you're a real believer, now there's there's a question to be asked. Was Ravi Zacharias a real believer or not? Um, But a real believer doesn't lose his or her salvation uh, because they... Uh, fell into sin or because they died before they had a chance to make it right with everybody. Jesus' blood covers us from all sin. Come, let us reason together, the Lord said through the prophet Isaiah. Though your sins are as scarlet, they can be white as snow. Now, when we walk in sin, fellowship is broken. And certainly Ravi Zacharias' fellowship with God was broken for a very, very long time. But that doesn't negate a salvation experience. Now, personally, Anonymous, I would have a really hard time, uh, and, and I have been um, a listener to and a follower of uh, Blessed by uh, Ravi's ministry for a lot of years. And I would have a really difficult time uh, with somebody who suggested that he was never really saved. 
Um, I think Ravi made a whole bunch of horrible choices. I think Ravi broke a lot of people's hearts. I think Ravi did some horrible, horrible things. Uh, and he died in that condition. And I think when he gets to heaven or when he stands before the Lord in judgment, uh, I think it will be a, a, a horrible, horrible time. However, um, I do believe he was a Christian. Now, the difficulty you're having is, well, well, how can an unrepentant sinner go to heaven? Are there sins in your life that you haven't changed? Are there things in your life right now that you know God doesn't want them uh, to be there? Are those things still there? You're unwilling to get rid of those. Well, you're just as guilty as Ravi. Your sins may not be as bad. And since I don't know who you are, I don't mean this to be personal. Um, but, um, you know, us going to heaven depends on the work Jesus did, not on what we did. And I think most people would understand, especially the people who were closest to Ravi, the ones those whose hearts were broken the most, I think they would say there was a lot of fruit in his ministry for a very, very long time. Uh, and the fact that he didn't finish well. Um, in fact, let me, let me be more blunt. He finished horribly. That doesn't negate the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, if he was never really a born-again Christian, if Ravi has been a, a wolf the whole time, uh, then you're probably right. Um, but remember, he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. Doesn't say Ravi had to complete it. I think that's really important for us to understand. So I hope that makes sense to you. And if not, uh, I, I'm really, I, I want to be sure that you, you have a clear understanding. So just please uh, send a question in again, and I'll try to get a little bit more clear. Here's a question from Lee from our mobile app. And he says, or she says, how do you help a person with a dogmatic belief in a post-tribulation rapture believe in a pre-trib one? Um, Lee, I don't think you do. I, I, I think, you know, if you want to have a, a reasonable discussion, Isaiah says, come let us reason together. If you can sit down with this person and, and say, let us reason through the scriptures, I, I think uh, that there's, there's absolutely no possibility of a post-trib um, rapture uh, anywhere in the Bible. None at all. Uh, I, I would ask that person, okay, so on what basis do you make that conclusion? And, um, I mean, I've had this conversation with a whole lot of people, not only on this program, but uh, people face-to-face. Uh, they believe in the post-tribulation rapture. Well, show me how you can do that. Where does there, Where is there even a hint of a suggestion that Jesus' death wasn't sufficient to satisfy the wrath of God? Now, the, 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 the great tribulation is the wrath of God. And it is simply not possible... For those of us whose sins have been forgiven, those of us who have been made righteous by the blood of Christ, it's simply not possible for God to pour out his wrath on us. And if if that doesn't resonate with them, uh, then they've got a position that they just don't want to discuss honestly. And uh, Lee, I, I just I don't know that there's a lot you can do. So I don't think you can make anybody believe in anything. But I think what you do is you lovingly lay out the evidence and make your case. For those of you who might be interested, um, you're free to go to our website, calvarysa.com. Uh, you can go to uh, the very first study that I do in Revelation chapter 4. That is a study where I always do a detailed study on the rapture of the church and why it has to be a pre-tribulation rapture. Um, but it all deals with the nature and the character of God. If if the great tribulation is the wrath of God poured out on a Christ-rejecting world, and I don't think there's any doubt that that's the case, um, then Jesus took the wrath of God for those of us who believe. And if we can't count on that promise, Lee, we can't count on any promise. So I would ask them why they're so dogmatic. Hope that helps. Thank you, Lee. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from our email inbox, also anonymous. Um, hi, Pastor Ron. I have a wife who is full of pride. Boy, that's a hard thing to say about your wife. Uh, her biggest struggle is that she does not seek forgiveness because she feels like she's always right about everything. 
We pray and read daily, but every time a conversation comes up, she refuses to humble herself and admit her faults. Just last night, I told her we were getting spiritually attacked and that she may be going through something. She responded, you're the one who's getting attacked, not me. She is a professing Christian besides reading, praying, and going to church. What are some practical ways I can help her? I must admit, I see my patience, love, and kindness slipping away too because we can't move forward in our marriage. This is a really devastating um, email, Anonymous, and my heart goes out for both of you. Um, when you say, and, and when I get a, 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 an email like this and it says she is a professing Christian uh, in your words, I think it's time you find out if she really is a Christian. And ask her, on what basis are you going to heaven? I, I need to know. And you have to be able to talk about these things. One of the most difficult things, and a lot of times we, we want to uh, keep the peace in the house. And so we don't talk about things that are important enough that we really ought to be talking about. And this is one of those things. You've got to talk to her about her fruit. Now, if you read and you pray and you, you go to church, God bless you for that. But when you're reading the Word together, and you're coming across something like um, um, uh, holding on to unforgiveness, um, um, the, the beam and the speck. Talk about those things. Don't just read the Bible. Talk about it. And ask her. You've got to be able to say things to her. You've got to be able to say, why are you always so defensive? When I talk about going through something or, or getting spiritually attacked and... Um, you know, the truth is she might not be getting spiritually attacked if she's really not a believer, uh, if she's doing the enemy's work. You remember when Job uh, was under attack, um, all his family that mattered was taken away except his wife, and she's the one who said, curse God and die. So this is important. This is really important. You've got to be able to talk about these things. Um, as you're reading through the Bible together, There's there's hundreds of opportunities to talk about humility. Why can you never be wrong? And probably she thinks she's okay the way she is. And there's an opportunity to say, well, what about for all have sinned and are falling short of the glory of God? And by the way, that's in the continuous present tense, so it's all falling short of the glory of God continually. Um, what about that? Ask her, what's keeping you from really opening your heart to Jesus? You've got to talk about these things. And the one thing, Anonymous, that you cannot be guilty of is losing your patience and your love and kindness. Because if that happens to you, your faith is no more valuable practically than hers is. So remember, God wants to use you as the spiritual head of the house he wants to use you to show your wife who he is. So continue to be open. Admit your faults. Confess your sins. When you lose patience with her, ask her to forgive you. I know it's hard in a, in a, in a relationship like this. But you see, that's what Jesus would do. Maybe set up some counseling with your pastor. They do marriage counseling. We do marriage counseling. And this is a good opportunity to really, really dig in deep and, and obviously pray for her continually. And if you have any doubt at all that she's a believer, really genuinely converted, genuinely born again, then what I would do is... Pray like she's not and beg the Lord on her behalf to use you to win her heart. But you can't hold on to your patience. I mean, you, you've, you've got to be patient. You can't let go of those things. Galatians chapter 5 says the fruit of the Spirit, and this is what your wife has got to see, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. So you want to move forward in your marriage, it's got to be with Jesus. And the most important thing that you could do is sit down with your wife, with your Bible open, and say, let's talk about this because this is really causing me a lot of pain. Our marriage isn't moving forward with Jesus. How can we do that? 
and then pray for her. She might have some comments about your walk as well, and I think that would be a really healthy conversation. I hope that makes sense. Thank you very, very much. Please get counseling. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Hi, Pastor Ron, Michelle. This is from Matthew. Uh, hi, Pastor Ron, Michelle, and I love you and Paula very much. Thank you, Matthew. God bless you. He says, I really love Sunday service. It was such a great Bible study. Would you be kind and expound more about the comments? I hope I wrote this down right. The mind steers the direction you are going. Thank you. You know, Matthew, one of the things, our mind, you know, we, we are such emotional creatures. We humans are so emotional. Um, we, we let how we feel dictate the direction that we go. We look around us and we see circumstances. And um, the, the study on Sunday was about the, uh, the furious squall that came up on the Sea of Galilee when Jesus had already said, let's go to the other side. Um, you know, the, the, they were on the boat. Everybody was fat and happy, doing a great job. And then all of a sudden, a storm comes up and they forget all about the things that they know. And so we've got to take control of the mind. And by that, I mean take thoughts captive and make them obedient to the Lord. We have to exercise faith. And by faith, it means we've got to trust in what we can't see instead of being converted by what we do see. And we have to take action based on who he is and the promises he's made, Jesus, rather than the things that are going on in our life. And so I appreciate your comments on the Bible study, Matthew. I absolutely loved it. Uh, I loved doing it. Uh, This week, it's it's an opportunity. I'm going to love this coming Sunday, too. Uh, but it's an opportunity uh, to make a, a decision, to, to, to sort of refocus. Um, what do I do when circumstances turn out unexpected? Or what do I do when things are harder than I thought they would be? And the answer is we have to look at Jesus. And so we have to make that mind. You know, Matthew, one of the things, and you've not been in our church for a really long time, but I talk a lot about uh, Colossians chapter 3, the first couple of verses where we're told by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul to set our minds on things above and to set our hearts on things above. The, the mind is the place of decision. The heart is the place of affection. And we've got to have a, a, a cohesiveness between the mind and the heart Uh, My heart says, I want to follow Jesus, but my mind says, I'm scared. There's a storm out here. And that's the context of Sunday study. Uh, And and our mind usually wins. The heart is weak. You know, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. And the flesh, usually when we see scary things, uh, the flesh, Matthew, is, is usually what wins out. Walking by faith, and I said this on Sunday, uh, our faith needs to be exercised. And that means the moment you're afraid of something, the moment something happens that is unexpected, in those moments, you've got to be able to say, well, look, I know I'm afraid, but I'm still going to follow Jesus. That's what faith is. You know, Jesus says, don't be afraid, and the devil condemns us when we're afraid. But the truth is, Jesus knew we were going to be afraid. But what he's saying is, don't be afraid, I got this. And that's what faith is. Faith really trusts it. Can I also want to take this opportunity to say something else, Matthew? I was talking to Paul about this on the phone earlier. You know, I made the confession uh, to the church on Sunday that I'm afraid all the time. I'm afraid all the time. And 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 lovely, well-meaning people say, "Don't be afraid. It's going to be okay." I know. I'm, but but fear is a part of who we are as humans. But you see, that's why we need faith. Faith is the antidote to fear. And that I'm afraid doesn't mean that my life isn't filled with joy. That I'm afraid doesn't mean that I'm I'm considering not walking with Jesus or I'm going to change directions. None of that's true. It just means, okay, Lord, I'm afraid. And, and then the principle, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Jesus, I'm going to hold on to you tighter than ever. I think that's the honest place, Matthew, that we all need to get to. So when your mind is steering you away from trouble... What you've got to do is redirect your mind, take the thoughts captive, and rely instead on what you know to be true about Jesus. And Matthew, when we get to that place, 
life becomes really, really rich and really, really full. But I got to tell you, if Christians are expecting not to be afraid, they're not walking by faith. I'm afraid. I have no doubt in things that God has told me to do. But you know what? I'm afraid. There's so much at stake. So here's what I tell Jesus. Jesus, take my hand. We're going to walk together through my fear. And that's what pleases him, Matthew. Not the man or the woman who I think foolishly at times says, I'm not afraid because I have great faith. No, Jesus, I'm afraid. How about you take my hand and let's walk together? That's what pleases the Lord the most. Matthew, God bless you. We love you guys too. Thank you very, very much for your comments. Hey, I can actually suggest to all of you, I think the Sunday study that I did um, dealing with by faith through times of fear, uh, I think uh, the Sunday study uh, this last week is available for free at calvaryessay.com. It was a very encouraging study, at least it was for me. So thanks very much. Here's a question from Dylan. How should we deal with people we know are illegal immigrants? Now, Dylan, it's funny that you you sent this question. You must have listened to me. um, I I don't know when it was, maybe Wednesday night study. Um, 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 And and I've had this question come to me twice today in face-to-face conversations. Um, How should we deal with people we know are illegal immigrants? We should deal with them in love. They should see our joy. They should see our peace. Jesus gave us his peace. We should deal with them with kindness. In other words, we should deal with them according to the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 by the power of the Holy Spirit we have in our lives. Now, this is a question. We have become such a political people. And and, and for you, Dylan, and for everybody else, as born-again Christians, we should not be political people. Now, we can participate in the political process. No problem. But our politics should be influenced by Christ, by the Word of God, by surrendering to the Holy Spirit of God, and not by a political ideology. So how we should deal with people we know are legal errors. We need to love them. You know, we're not a nation. We don't individually, we don't make the laws and Christians who, who say, well, well, I'm against illegal immigration. I, I think everybody's, well, not that, that's wrong. I'm against illegal immigration too, but, but that's not what God's asked me to be a good steward of. So the way we're supposed to deal with illegal immigrants is to love them, to tell them about Jesus, to extend a hand, to give them whatever help we can. You know, they're not an enemy. And if the government ever decides that they're going to deal with illegal immigration according to the law, we can still support our government. And at the same time, we can put our arms around somebody who is an illegal immigrant and and invite him to come to know Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do. So... This is really important, Dylan. We're we're supposed to be known by our love, not by our politics. And my heart is broken. Literally, my heart is broken by how many Christians have abandoned love in the name of politics. I don't get it. It is a miserable focus. And we're failing in the prime directive that Jesus gave us, and it's to love one another. The parable of the Good Samaritan. That's how we're supposed to deal with everybody that Jesus brings across our way. You know, Dylan, I'll, we're coming up to the break, and Thomas, I know we've got you on hold. If you can hold over the break, that would be wonderful. Thank you for, for being patient. Um, you know, we pray every night, we, but we pray every day. For, for people, we, we God, bring people that need to know you. Send us to the lost and the hurting and the hungry and the broken, the needy, the confused, the fearful, the angry. Send us. Can you imagine 
before you share Jesus with them, before you extend the love of Christ to them? Can you imagine asking them if they're legal or illegal? It's not our responsibility, Dylan, Dylan, to do anything other than love whoever Jesus brings before us. And if we do that, the smile of God will be on you. And that's what we're supposed to do. If you know that they're illegal immigrants, do what you can to help them. Be compassionate and understand that they come from a homeland where their lives are in danger and they want what you and I want, Dylan. They want a, an opportunity to support their families. They want an opportunity to raise their children. And if we can introduce them to Jesus, well, that's all the better. So please remember, we deal with everybody, legal and illegal, no matter where they come from, no matter their nationality, no matter their economic background, we deal with everybody the same way by love. And if your politics trumps that, then let me introduce you to Jesus. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the Tuesday show, 340-9585. Thomas, we will get back to you uh, first thing after the break. May the Lord bless you. We'll be back in two minutes. the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Thomas, thank you for being so patient. You are on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. Nice to talk to you again. Um, Thank you. I hope you and uh, Sister Paul are doing good. Um, That was a good uh, sermon you had uh, Sunday. I saw that online, and uh, I used that when you talked about staying in the boat. And uh, I'm trying to stay in the boat now. I'm not going to venture out of it no more, no matter how scared I get. I'm staying in the boat, Pastor Ron. Bless your heart, man. So... One more, one more thing, too. Uh, don't think Liz is too silly right here. Not It's just like um, when you were starting the services before it started and the announcements were being made, who was that girl in the back of, of the uh, foyer there who was munching on those chips? Because she made me hungry. <laughs> that's, all. I just, that's all I had to say, Pastor Ron. I hope that kind of made your day a little bit there. But yeah, thank you very thank much. you, Thomas. Appreciate it. God bless you. I don't know. I can't watch anybody eating while I'm preaching on Sundays because I would get I would get hungry too. So, God bless you, Thomas. Thank you. Victor wants to know, Pastor Ron, is your style of leadership changed in your years as a pastor? Victor, I hope so. I would hate to think that I haven't learned anything. Um, um, but but yeah, I hope so. Um, I hope my co-leaders, elders, and of course Paula knows me better than anybody. I would hope all of them would would say that my my leadership style has changed. Um, um, I hope I've become more patient. Um, I I hope I've always been kind. Um, But, um, I mean, I'm really kind of at a loss as how to answer this, but I'm sure some things have changed. Uh, What we try to do, Victor, is uh, we have a direction that we're, we're all walking together. And that direction hasn't changed in all of the years that, that we've been here. I've been here for 26 and a half years. Um, and wait a minute, i got to look at the. I just realized that tomorrow. i got to remember tomorrow's my birthday in the Lord. Yes, sir. So I'll talk about that tomorrow. Um, but but the direction that we've, we're walking together as a church hasn't changed in 26 and a half years. But, but uh, I think a lot of things have happened as you learn. Um, uh, I, I probably have lesser expectations of people. I should have none, but I, I probably have lesser expectations of people than I did. You know, Victor, this would probably be a better question for Paula to answer uh, on Thursday. So if you are are interested, maybe send the question or give us a call on Thursday. It's, it's hard for me to be really objective. 
Um, you know, I can look back just casually and think, well, I'm doing everything the same. But I'm sure that's not true. And, and, and I guess if I am doing everything the same, that's probably not a good thing. So I, I really don't know much how to answer that question, Victor. Uh, I'm probably not the best person to ask. Here's a question from Scott. He says, what advice would you give to a parent whose grown children have stopped talking to them because we refuse to accept their homosexuality? Um, Scott, I have no advice at all. Um, um, Stand with and stand for Jesus rather than standing with and for your children. By you standing with Jesus, you are standing for your children, though they won't acknowledge it. And I think at some point, um, you've obviously made a decision that you believe God, that you're more concerned about what he thinks than what your children think. And I think that's a good thing. Now, having said that, I want to acknowledge how painful this is. And we have people in our church body who are going through exactly the same thing. The, the pain in not having your children speak to you is immense, um, I think if we asked your children, um, um, they would be angry. Uh, but I think at some point you got to just tell them, Scott, I love you so much. I, I can't imagine heaven without you. That's always served me well. It doesn't convince people that they need to get saved, but but it, it helps them understand my motives. And uh, I've 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 had family members that I've had to say these exact things to. Uh, people that have grown up in the church and they take um, a different route in life and, and, and you know, rebel against God. Uh, it, it's heartbreaking. Um, but Jesus is pleased. Love them. Let them know that your, your heart uh, is always open, but that since your heart belongs to Jesus, you represent him even before you represent a child. And the parent that when the child says, well, can't you just accept me for who I am? The answer is no, I can't accept you. As you accept a lifestyle that is going to condemn you to an eternity in hell. So no, I love you. And my house, my heart is always open. But it wouldn't be loving of me as a parent if I gave you any hope at all that living a homosexual lifestyle is going to enable you to go to heaven. And Scott, that's that's all I can do. I, I'm telling you, it's going to be painful. I can also tell you, wherever you go to church, Scott, there are a whole bunch of people going through exactly the same thing you're going through. Um, I've got a group of parents here who have um, children who were raised in churches and and have walked away and, and, and begun living an aberrant lifestyle like this. And... Um, they can comfort you with the comfort they themselves have received from God. Let me, let me say, in order to, to do that, in order to find that source of help, Scott, um, you can't keep this a secret. Ask people for prayer. This, this can't be a matter of pride. Um, there are people in your church going through what you're going through, and they, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we serve the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we ourselves or that we can be comforted by the by the comfort or we can comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So that's the best that I can do there, Scott. It's a heartbreaking thing. There's no way to feel better about this. Um remember that Jesus loves them more than you do. And you stand your ground. Don't don't be judgmental in the sense that um they're 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 broken something like that just let them know you're rebelling against god who created you for much better we live in a world that's going to pat them on the back and embrace all kinds of sin well that's exactly what happened in the days of noah and scott we are living in those days of noah here's a question from eric he says when james says faith without works is dead does it also mean that we have to be saved by works and faith? Eric, no. It doesn't mean that at all. That's a misunderstanding. What James is saying is that if you say you believe in Jesus, but that hasn't changed you, 
then your faith has no value. And thus it's not real faith. I say all the time, Eric, that when when you meet my Jesus, he changes you. So somebody who um, um, had an emotional experience, maybe they, they answered an altar call, they got baptized, something like that, but they haven't changed. They really haven't met Jesus and they're not really saved. So what James is saying basically is you can tell somebody has genuine faith, saving faith, because their life will change and you'll be able to see it. Now, when we think about works, we're thinking about good deeds, doing good things, not hurting people, those kind of things. But remember the works of God. Again, from Galatians chapter 5, are the works of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. So those are the works that are going to happen. And as you grow to be more like Jesus, those are going to be ever on the increase. So all he's saying is that you, and he says this exactly, uh, you show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. And, And what he's saying is, look, if you claim to have faith, but there's no evidence of the faith, it's probably true that you don't really have saving faith. So that's what he means. It's not a a Catholic type of thing where you're saved by faith and works. This is James simply saying that if you've met Jesus, he's going to change you and you're going to do different things. You know, Eric, I mentioned uh, just briefly, I was asking my producer at at the top of this this half hour, uh, tomorrow is my 31st birthday in the Lord. I got saved in 1991, um, uh, February 23rd. Uh, Paula's birthday is two days later on the 25th. Um, and um, we may talk about that a little bit on the Thursday program as well. Um, but uh, I changed instantly. Now, it didn't mean all my bad habits went away, but everything about me changed on that day 31 years ago tomorrow. Everything about me changed. It was, uh, we were in California, it was probably 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, I, I, I went home uh, to leave uh, uh, my car, and I was going to uh, just start walking. Uh, I had a little bit of money in my pocket, take a bus. I didn't know what I was going to do. But I met Jesus just a, a block and a half away from my home, and I was changed instantly and radically. And so from that day, literally, now again, I, I still did a lot of bad things. All those bad habits don't just go away instantly. Um, but, but you know, for the first time, when I sinned, I hated it. When I used foul language, I hated it. When I got angry, I hated it. That was the work that the Holy Spirit did simply by coming into my heart. And Eric... That's what works really are all about. It's not about, oh, I'm going to go feed the poor. I'm gonna, you know, you'll do those things later because you love Jesus. But the idea is, is change. And I'll say it again, if you've really met Jesus, you're different. That's what saves you. The works come afterwards. Good question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Jerry. He says, how can I be sure that God has chosen me? Jerry, this is the easiest question to answer ever. You can be sure that God has chosen you by choosing him back right now. That's all. You can say, Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that you're God the son I believe that you died for the sins of the world. I believe that you died for my sins. Because I'm a sinner and I'm separated from you, I repent of my sins and I ask you to take control of my life. And Jerry, if you do that, you can be sure that God has chosen you. It's that simple. It's nothing more complicated than that. It's that simple. God knows those he has chosen and all all that's left is for you to know it and the only way to prove it is to respond to his choice. I've had people say, well, how do I know? I I can't choose him if I don't know for sure. Yeah, that's what faith is all about. 
Now, the evidence is overwhelming. I never talk about blind faith. Jesus was a real person. He really lived and he really died. He was murdered and he really didn't stay dead. So if you believe that and surrender your heart to him, it's because you have been chosen by God based on his foreknowledge. So, Jerry, it's that simple. Don't make it any more complicated. If you have a theology that's more complicated than that, um, your theology is incorrect. Here is a question from Christine. Um, I have a hard time seeing that. This is Christina or Christine? Christine. Christine. Is social justice something that Christians should advocate for? Um, Christine, uh, justice needs no adjectives. Justice, we should always advocate for justice. But social justice is so far removed from the gospel of Jesus Christ, it has been so... Um, I'm searching for the right word because I don't want to offend anybody. It's been so brutalized by uh, progressive, so-called progressive Christianity um, that it means nothing anymore. God is just, completely just. People say, yeah, but shouldn't you want the world to be a better place? Well, yeah, but the way to, for the world to be a better place is to come to Jesus. And so if our message is anything but Jesus, we're actually subverting justice. So no, social justice has nothing to do with the gospel. It is completely separate from the real gospel of Jesus Christ. So stick with the gospel, this glorious gospel. Jesus Christ died for sinners. And by faith in him, sinners can be made right with God. And then a just God will never punish your sin because God has already punished your sin and mine. But Jesus, you see, took the punishment. So Christine, social justice has nothing to do with our faith whatsoever. Now, it is true that there will be a change in the world around you as you come to Jesus Christ. There will be some social issues that your thinking will be changed on because you're going to be looking at them through Jesus' eyes. The question I had earlier about an illegal immigrant is one of those questions. I'm a politically conservative man. If there is a a law in this country and we're a nation of laws, then I think we ought to to function according to those laws. I think if the if the government has decided, and by that I mean the government representing the people, have decided that we want borders um, and we want control over those borders, I think that's really a good thing. But that doesn't relieve me of my responsibility to love people who come across. That's real faith that has social impact. So... Be careful of the progressive lines. Be careful of the wokeism. Um, Just tell people about Jesus. It is the best news, Christine. It is the best news that we could ever have, that we could ever give to anybody else. There's no value in improving somebody's life if they're going to spend eternity in hell. Isn't that what Jesus said? What good is it to gain the whole world and forfeit your own soul? So justice is enough. Here is a question from Juan. Um, this is a cute one, Juan. Why did Adam get all the blame and not Eve? Um, intent is everything. Um, we know that Paul tells Timothy uh, that it was Eve who was deceived. Adam rushed headlong into sin. Adam made a choice. Am I going to say goodbye to Eve or am I going to say goodbye to God? And he decided to say goodbye to God and he fell into sin. And we also need to remember Adam was created first. Adam is what Romans calls the federal head of all mankind. Men, men and women, Adam is the federal head. As in one man, Adam, all died. So too in one man, Jesus Christ, all will live. Um, 
so so Adam blew it. We inherited the sin nature. The consequence of that sin nature is that we're going to spend eternity in hell, separated from God. And Jesus changed all of that. Jesus changed all of that. So I hope that helps very, very much. Thank you, Juan. 340-9585 here live calls and questions. Here is a question from our mobile app, Gregory, that just came in. Uh, Pastor Ron, I just read about the Catholic Church's baptism word slip where one wrong word used during the baptism has supposedly nullified not only the baptism of the child, that the mistake was noticed, or that the mistake was made, I guess, but thousands of baptisms may have had a similar issue, and now they are not baptized. I know this is an issue for Catholics. However, what happens if you or one of your pastors misspeaks and baptizes someone saying the wrong words? Is that such a thing uh, as exact verbiage in our baptisms? Thank you. Um, Gregory, I've had a lot of people talk to me about this. This is the first question I've had about it. Um, but but this reminds me of Jesus telling the, the the religious leaders, look, you 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 have your traditions, but you nullify the word of God by your traditions. You know, Jesus went through, and I'm going to put this in really cultural language that we can understand. Jesus, in in almost every encounter with the religious leaders, he kept telling them, "You don't get it." You know, Jesus was healing people on the Sabbath, and they thought that was an affront to God. And Jesus said, "Is it not?" lawful to do good on the Sabbath? The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And and so this is the same kind of thing. And this is one of the reasons, Gregory, that I hate religion so much. Um, can you imagine a God who's concerned about the verbiage rather than the condition of the heart? So Catholics need not worry about the words they need to worry about the intent of their heart. And of course, we know that infant baptisms in particular, um, um, th- th- those children cannot make a, a decision for Jesus Christ. They have they, There's nothing in their heart. So, no, uh, the, the words, it, it's difficult. Uh, this is just a, a, a horrible illustration of how damaging um, uh, religion really can be. For Christians, and I get this a lot, what name are you supposed to be? There's no, baptism is an outward symbol. Baptism does not save you. Baptism is something you do because you're saved, and one word doesn't have anything at all to do with the the, the intent of your heart. Jesus wants only the intent of your heart. Let's go to Kelly from Kerrville on line one. Kelly, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yes, sir. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the question that I have is I um, we, we go to my wife and I and kids. We go to a non-denominational church. Um, the pastor um, passed away about a year ago from... COVID, and mm. his wife is kind of taking over his his place uh, with our music director that's actually doing the preaching, you know. Mm. Um, so the pastor's wife, she's a really nice lady. You know, we, we haven't had any issues with her. Um but she recently got um, some tattoos <laughs> on on her shoulder, and um, I don't know. I just have a a strange feeling about that. You know? mm. Yeah, Kelly, we're we're running out of time, so let me make this quick. But I want to be very very clear. Um, her getting tattoos that says nothing at all about the condition of her heart. When you say she's taken over, if she's calling herself a pastor or, or in the role of a pastor, that's wrong. That's just not something that's healthy and certainly not something God would bless. But but if somebody else is doing the preaching, um, um, if, if, if I was to say, here's some input, tell the people you need a full-time pastor. 
But but uh, don't let the tattoos from you. This woman has gone through uh, unbelievable pain in the last year. Uh, she is um, her heart has been broken, um, and and I simply the last thing in the world I would want anybody to do is to judge her based on getting some tattoos. Um, I I always threaten that that if if something would happen to Paula. I'd get a tattoo of I got a picture of her that I love so much. I'd get that tattooed on my my the the chest muscle over my heart. Um and it doesn't mean they're they're getting wrong or doing any any bad stuff. Uh give her some grace. She is her whole world has been turned upside down. And um it's I mean you know a pastor's wife if the pastor dies she's no longer a pastor's wife that changes everything. So embrace her. Don't don't feel funny toward her. Um, just, just, just let her know that she can count on you and love her. Now, if if she is taking over the church, that's not a good move. But we have to be really, really careful about that, and just understand that uh, she is going to continue to go through a bunch of changes. The enemy is going to be pounding, and what she needs right now is for people to love her. And don't let tattoos, don't let any outward thing. If she dyes her hair, cuts her hair, don't let any outward thing change the fact that you're going to be there for her, uh, you and your family, and um, and just support her. Just support her. I can't imagine the pain that she's gone through. It's a really, really tough, tough time for her. She needs love, not judgment. Kelly, thanks for the, the phone call. Hey, we are out of time for today's program. Thanks for tuning in. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I will be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.